On this episode of Bootstrappers, we're going to talk about how improving your emotional intelligence can also improve your bottom line. And we're going to speak with emotional intelligence practitioner Andy Hines Logaman about what she does for her clients who are entrepreneurial. That's on this episode of Bootstrappers. This is the Bootstrapper Show for Property Management, powered by Anaquim, a podcast where we have real conversations with industry experts that you can apply to your life and business. Welcome to Bootstrappers, where we talk about issues that are important to real estate and property management entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Jeremy Aspen, and this is my spouse, Gwen Aspen. (laughs) Today, we have a really exciting and enlightening show about how to increase your emotional intelligence so you can improve your business. And we're going to speak with emotional intelligence practitioner, Andy Hines Logaman. Um, So Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. And if you're looking for professionals who can help you grow your business, go to anaquim.net right now and set up a discovery call. If you set up the discovery call and mention Bootstrappers, you'll get a 50% uh, discount on your placement fee by mentioning the Bootstrappers show. So I wanted everyone to know how I how we came about this show. So I was at the PM Growth Summit, which was an amazing conference in San Diego this last year. And I have this thing where I always go up to people that I know or acquaintances and I ask them, so what's the number one thing you did for your business last year? And one of my friends, he was like, I started seeing an emotional intelligence coach. No, actually said an empathy coach. And he said it was the number one thing that he did for his business this year. And I was just so intrigued. I mean, I like can't even get over how intrigued I was because I knew this person not super well, but well enough to maybe identify that this could possibly be an area that you know someone might work on and i was so amazed with his self-awareness it was incredible and how he just took control over the the issue and was like managing it and working on it, improving not just his business but all areas of life and his business partner was right next to him and i mean these are like you know, dudes, man. I mean, not like your typical person that you'd be like, oh, really into therapy or into emotional intelligence. These are like macho, very masculine guys. And to see his business partner being like, yes, this has been the number one thing that we've done this year. This has been amazing. It was just out of, I was just out of my mind. So So anyway, I'm super excited because I don't really know a lot about this topic. And actually, Jeremy, you're kind of skeptical entirely about emotional intelligence. Well, no, I mean, I understand that the importance of emotions like and so I don't think that I represent anything even close to what I think you guys brought up in the background, um, um, an average man's look at it. I mean, um, mine is more of a semantic argument. Mine's more a cognitive science um, in that I. Whenever, whenever emotional intelligence is brought up next to intelligence, um, it doesn't have a lot of the qualities. Intelligence doesn't seem like it's the right word um, when you're talking in those cognitive science circles. So I think a lot of cognitive scientists take issue with the nomenclature more than anything, not necessarily the practice or 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 you know uh, the usefulness of working the usefulness on of working on emotional security and, and stuff like that it's 
I, I just I, I know it was the the first. Oh, I have to go back. Uh, the very first time the word was used, I think, in public culture was a book called Emotional Intelligence. I don't know the guy's name, but that was a. It was in the mid '90s, and then it kind of became it's it kind of became a thing. And, and emotional intelligence, that, that phraseology, people, I think, try to use that as a science when it wasn't really derived from a scientific methodology. It's been studied since then, but I think it came first, kind of like how religion came first for the explanation of the universe. <clears throat> Um, so, it, it, so, so my coming from that place, that's the only place I'm coming from that it's important or I totally believe it's important. I just always take a little bit of, and, and I think it's important to recognize that people are uncomfortable with it because I think that uncomfortableness makes people not address real issues. Anyway, you know what we should do? Well, one thing emotional intelligence does do, I think is makes it easier to, to want to understand it. Because and that's the I think the argument that cognitive scientists might make is that because it does kind of have an air of science underneath it, so it feels a little bit easier to get to make something or have an emotional conversation because I, I think the wording is exactly right. I think it's why it's so popular. I just don't know that it's actually accurate. Okay, so you have an accuracy versus popular. It's it's semantic maybe. Okay. Maybe it's just semantic. <laughs> Well, I think this is a great time to bring in Andy to the discussion. <laughs> oh, yeah, we hadn't done that yet. Sorry about that. Hi, Andy. Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, can you tell I'm bursting at the seams over here? To <laughs> I can't believe we didn't have you in first. No, no. no. So many of the things that you're saying right now. Well, so and that's what I, I, I even though it's. I, like I had mentioned earlier, I don't know that it's that big of a hurdle for a lot of people. Matter of fact, I've never heard any. I, I've never heard anybody else bring it up. But the emotional intelligence things comes up on a regular basis. And anytime I have the balls to, you know, I, I, I figure, hey, I'll bring it up. It never goes my way. Because then they're like, oh, you're anti-emotions. I'm like, well, shit, that's not what I'm trying to say. So, And because it's such a semantic, such a uh, an academic argument, it's hardly ever worth even bring talking. it up. I'll lose. I just can't defeat that. But I do want to know a little bit about you, Andy. So obviously, my friend raves about you. What do you do for entrepreneurs? So for the entrepreneurs that I work with through the context of my practice, which is called Tidewater Coaching, um, I am typically helping them through some sort of change. Uh, whether that is upscaling, whether that is stepping into a leadership role for the first time um, or a leadership role, but for a different company, it's just, it, it typically boils back to change okay. um, and something that they are trying to shift. Um, Got it. So oh, yeah. what is, okay, so Jeremy went through his semantic issues with the word, but what it, do you use the word emotional intelligence? Yes, I absolutely use the, the words emotional intelligence. Um, so emotional intelligence was actually born out of the science of positive psychology, which is a subset of the broader field of psychology. Um, and so Historically, psychology has dealt in psychopathologies and neuroses, uh, which is about 20% of our population that operates at that level of cognitive and emotional functioning. And positive psychology was developed, uh, to your point, in the, about the 80s, early 90s, uh, as a field of the science that was really more for the other 80% of 
uh, let's say us, uh, who are operating in a normal, at a normal level of functioning, uh, but we want to do better, be better, feel better. And we do legitimate, uh, legitimately go through difficult things from time to time, uh, even though because we might be experiencing something negative and have some depressive feelings does not mean we have a depressive disorder, mm. right? Um, mm. And so where historically psychology has taken, uh, to use Martin Seligman's phrasing, miserable people to normal, a normal level of functioning, uh, positive psychology takes people at a normal level of functioning and, and elevates it. How can we lean into those, those strengths, those things that you find meaningful and do better? Okay, so. that's fascinating. And then I know when we were talking before the show, you had said that people oftentimes think of emotional intelligence only as empathy, but that you actually coach in many different areas. Can you describe those areas? Yeah. Yep. And, and to that point, when you read articles uh, online or do any sort of just a quick Google search of emotional intelligence, what you are going to find is empathy and interpersonal relationships. So I completely understand why the perception is that that's what it is, because mm -hmm. that's what mostly people talk about. Um, but what I work on with my clients is actually uh, within the realm of 15 different emotional skills. And it really boils down into five different categories. So it's how we think and feel about ourselves. What is, what's the story I tell myself about myself, how that manifests in the outside world. How do I express myself? What do I look like, sound like when I'm talking to you? Um, how we develop and maintain relationships, both personally and professionally, how we solve problems and how we cope with stress. And it's all very interrelated. And I know when you and I talked last time, I love to give the, the very high level example of starting out your day, having an absolute knockdown drag out with your spouse versus starting out your day, finding out that you just won an amazing new client and how either one of those scenarios would have a completely different color on everything throughout the course of your day. It's coloring how you think about yourself. It's coloring how you interact with other people. It's coloring how even how you look on the outside. You might look down in the dumps or really happy and excited. Um, it's coloring how you solve problems. If we feel good, we feel positive. We tend to have more expansive forward thinking thoughts and ideas versus feeling down We're we're feeling a little bit more uh, constricted in that way. Um, and certainly how we are coping with stress throughout the day as well. So people feel uncomfortable talking about emotions, but you're saying that that emotional set point is going to influence all those hardcore business things that will happen later on. So it's really, we can't really just be like, I don't really do that. Well, yeah. And so in the case, just as another example, professors, like they've done studies because, you know, that's what universities do and they do them on campuses. Um, but they, you know, as I'm sitting on campus right now. Oh, are you? So <laughs> yeah. they, um, you know, the professors, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll kind of be prodded with something, a, a little positive or something negative. They'll do it I think the most famous one is before or after lunch. And depending on whether or not they've had lunch or not, will establish uh, the way that they grade afterwards. So, I mean, oh, really? Yeah. So, if, if they haven't had lunch yet, um, then their grades generally 
are more negative. And if they have had lunch, they're higher. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, right. I mean, that's. So managing emotions is important in how you show up in the world. Absolutely. It affects everything. Okay. So. Yeah. It, yeah, people try to parse it out as though, like they try to make it so that reason is a, a higher level of thought. And it is not uh, because, I don't know, there's something axiomatic or there's some sort of a nice little phrase that says it nicely, but uh, essentially you can't make reasonable decisions without emotion because so for instance, you don't even know what you want. You don't know what the, you don't know what the outcome should be if you can't process it emotionally so you 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 i think it was michael Shermer mentioned this to me um he you cannot your your emotions are is it your emotions are i should probably leave this out of the show but your emotions are the lawyers on the behalf of your already established beliefs so you already have to have some sort of an an emotional anchoring before you can reason that's the long way is that what you find also yeah, I'm, I'm deconstructing that phrase. Um, but yes, generally, the, the sentiment is for sure accurate. It's, it's also something I coach on a lot. Our emotions are data. So not only our own emotions that we are experiencing in the moment, um, but also reading other people's emotions. They are giving us data in, you know, in that uh, exchange, in that conversation, in that meeting, in that phone call even, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, it's, it's an exchange of data. It's allowing the other person the space to feel how they feel. Um, and it is, you know, culturally, we're not taught to use our emotions as data. Yes. We have a point of impact and then we react, we respond, right? We're taught to, ha- to think on our feet, think fast, you know, come up with ideas and responses immediately. And we don't ever stop to not only process how we are feeling and use that information to make good choices, um, but also we're not taught to understand the fact that you can actually choose your emotion, mm. right? So you can change it and you can choose which emotion you're going to use because you're probably not only feeling one. Um, so yeah, so we have the choice on the focus, the emotional focus. And then like, so let's say going back to your initial example, you start your day either with like a big fight or by, um, getting uh, a new client. Um, so let's say we have one of those two situations and they will color our whole day. What's a healthier way to, to deal with either of those situations? Um, so, I mean, I think in the, in the instance of having a fight with your spouse, Mm -hmm. uh, for sure, trying to either resolve to the point that you can until you can come back to it later, like kind of put a pin in it in a way Mm -hmm. that is healthy and respectful on, on behalf of both people in the conversation, because, um, a lot of times we get to a point in that exchange in a, in a heated exchange and, and maybe it's like, we both have to go, we got to go to work, whatever Mm -hmm. you leave it in this like yucky place. Right. And so getting to a point where it's like, okay, we both need to go to work with clear heads. I still love you. You still love me. We're just going to go about our days. We'll pick this up later. Probably clear our heads will prevail by then. 
um, you know, maybe check in with each other throughout the day, something like that. But, but really it's the, uh, it's, if you sort of visualize, um, your EQ is like your bubble, right? And everybody has their own EQ bubble. And there's like this invisible cord connecting each of us when we're in an exchange. And so where your strengths in emotional intelligence might be like empathy and, and that problem solving. And so you're in this argument and you're like, I really see you. I see where you're coming from and how you feel. And and let's start to come up with some solutions where your husband might be uh, on the lower end of, let's say, problem solving. I don't know you. This is not, I'm not making any sort of I was diagnosis. like, oh my God, how did she know all this about us? <laughs> what the fuck is going on? I'm also frustrated. <laughs> so, so to him, in that moment, part of the contention could be, right, that, that he needs time for his process of problem solving. And, and so you're not going to come to that quick you know, solution to the situation in that moment. So your EQ sort of coming across that, that invisible cord that is connecting you and meeting his EQ and recognizing the fact that he needs a, a little bit slower pace for his process, but he'll get there. And maybe by the end of the day, you can come back and have a more productive conversation. So is emotional. So a lot of it does have to do with empathy in that context. But. Okay. So does emotional intelligence, is it? So if you have a behavioralist kind of reaction to something like uh, uh, your, your heart starts to race, right? Um, is emotional intelligence the point where you insert uh, I don't know, let's use reason again. You identify that, okay, heart's racing. This isn't gonna work. We've gotta do something different here. And this is where the positive psychology launch launches. I don't know that behavioralism and positive psychology are necessarily related that way, but maybe there's an instance where it works, where, where you identify a problem and then emotional intelligence is being able to identify it and then addressing it. Is that a fair way of saying it? Um, I mean, ish, I think, uh, there are other skills. There are other emotional intelligence skills at play there for sure. Um, what you're talking about is, uh, in our, in our field, um, impulse control, which is not knee jerk reacting and then probably regretting whatever you've blurted out in the argument later. Um, it's also, um, reality testing, which is not bringing in historical bias necessarily into the conversation that's a big one right uh right like being able to be like okay this is this situation it's not that it's not whatever other thing i'm trying to insert into it and so you know it's there's a lot at play there for sure okay so you, what the work you would do with someone is is kind of give them language for all the areas that maybe touch a con like if they're in conflict with somebody to, that touch that conflict so that they can understand all the things that impact their way of reacting so that they have more choices in how they react. Is yes. that true? Yeah, totally. It's, it's tools in their tool belt. Okay. Um, in so, fact, I had a guest speaker in my class this morning and he said, you're not going to use the same hammer for every single job. And I thought that was such a great phrase because yeah, Okay, so let's go back to somebody, your, your typical client. So they're going through some kind of change in their business or in their life. They come to you. How do, they, how do you identify what they need to work on? So typically, uh, when clients come to me, they have some sort of goal in mind. 
Um, and then we start out by, uh, I actually have them do an emotional intelligence assessment, it's the EQI 2.0, which is the only clinically validated uh, emotional intelligence assessment tool out there. So um, like when you say that they have a goal, what are some examples of goals? Um, improving corporate culture, um, personal boundaries, a lot of times it comes back to personal boundaries. What are some examples um, of people in business not having good boundaries? Uh, people in business who have a hard time taking vacation time, mm-hmm. um, who have a hard time not sort of inserting themselves into every project and every process and everybody's, every uh, every other person's job. So they're a micromanager? Yes, yeah. Exactly. I was going to say, I don't really mean in a like, what's Deborah in HR going to do about her bad relationship? Like, <laughs> Drama. Like, um, you know, yeah, we've got these projects to accomplish and, and I better make sure they're filling out their spreadsheets correctly or I better make sure, you know, like it's that kind of, I call it coming over the wall, right? Like you don't need to come over every single wall. You can. Okay. So I just want to talk about that a little bit more because I've seen that uh, in my work. So like, for instance, you have someone who's very competent at their role. They've demonstrated success in the past and no goodwill is ever built up. So they, you're continually micromanaging them, even though they've given you all the indication that they can handle the problem. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, I I think the key phrase there was no goodwill was ever built up. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times what it really comes back to is building loyalty and trust with that person. And so everybody, everybody, and no matter what level of the company you are, everybody um, desires a sense of agency Mm -hmm. in their work. Mm -hmm. And, And by continuously coming over the wall, are you doing that right? Did you do, mm. what about this? Where are you with that? You know, that what that tells them subconsciously or maybe even consciously is that you don't trust them and you don't think that they can do their work. Got it. And so, um, and, and maybe they're new, right? Or maybe, uh, maybe there was a misstep or something like that, but you need to at some point begin to build that um, trust. They need to believe that you believe they can do their job, it'll make them more loyal to you. It'll make them more eager to do their work and do a good job. And that is a major, a major problem with entrepreneurs because it's like your baby, like this is your business. It's your baby. We all get it. But we're in an environment where it's really hard to retain talent. It's really hard to attract talent. And so that could be a huge area that I've seen where people could improve in their ability to trust, give up control, and thereby make the work environment better for their employees and be able to retain that talent. So I could see that being an area that people work on with a co- with yeah. a coach or a practitioner. Yeah, and the other the other piece of that is by um, sending a message that you don't believe in them. Mm-hmm. you could end up missing out on some really important information or data uh, because they don't trust that they can come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, when they, so let's say they're working on a project, something does go wrong. They're like, well, I can't tell them because 
they already think I don't know how to do my job. Mm -hmm. Right. So then they Uh, start hiding information that's mm -hmm. important for your business. Data, even even emotional data. You know, you might be in a meeting and hey, we're going to do this new project, and you know it's going to be great. They might be holding back emotionally, even though they know from their perspective, we don't have the resources to get that done. We don't have the timeline. We don't have the people, whatever. But they again, that's that's emotional data. They might be holding back. They might not feel comfortable. It's also, I think, one of the big. Um, benefits of working for a company that's run by entrepreneurs though, because generally speaking, the size of a company that's being run still by the owner is smaller. And so it is incumbent on them to have to really care about the well-being of their employees. Like one of our objectives as a company is uh, we strive to be the best uh, option for our empl- where, for where our employees work. Uh, how, wait, how do we say it? We want to be the best option for our employees to work to live their best life, right? Now, but large corporations don't have that because they have a more more of a machinery that takes, you know, the cogs and they do certain things a certain way. And it seems like in, in, in this entrepreneur universe is a better spot for people to work if you care, if they care about their own emotional but, but we might have less sophisticated leaders. That's the that's And that's kind of where Andy comes in to help those leaders level up because maybe some of the more sophisticated leaders are drawn towards yeah. more organized, larger corporation. Co- corporation. But working with a founder, founders can be a little nutty. I mean, we know. Um, and so you've got to be, you know, if you're not really up to management snuff, you're dealing with some of these issues. I would love to hear another example. We just talked about micromanagement, but another major issue that you see in business people that they struggle with. Is there another one? Mm-hmm. Um, coping and stress tolerance. That's That's the other, probably the other biggest thing that I coach on. Um, I think that, again, culturally, we are all operating at such a high level of stress all the time that to some degree, we've almost become desensitized to it until it gets to the point that it's affecting our physical health. um, It is affecting our relationships, you know, all those sorts of things. And so um, I would love to uh, lean further into the work of like, preventative stress management coaching. Um, But usually it's like recon uh, at this point when people come to me. And so I I walk them through a lot of different um, coping strategies that they can employ throughout the course of the day. Um, So like not just swallowing all the stress all day. And so by the time you get home from work at the end of the day, you're just like a ticking time bomb. Um, I've, I have coached a couple of clients that were in that situation. You know, I ha- I'm in charge. I have to be calm. I have to lead with authority throughout the day. I can't explode or, you know, can't really react if something is going poorly. So they just swallow and swallow all that like black tar all day. And then they go home and they just unleash on their spouse and kids. Um, And so what I coach them through is developing some healthy, calming um, stress management strategies throughout the course of their day. Um, And and a lot of it is you have to keep doing it even when you're not in the thick of it. So it also almost becomes um, muscle memory. Yeah. So that when those situations do happen, 
your body knows how to decompress. Is that the EMDT or whatever you called it? I have no yeah, idea. Okay. That, that, that thing that you do with the rattling eyes. Um, oh, EMDR? EMDR, okay. No, EMDR is totally different. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's, that's a trauma. That's oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's trauma. But, yeah. No, but what would be an example of something like throughout the day if somebody does struggle with this, you know, and I could see another, maybe they don't unleash on their family, but there's nothing to give. So they're like just totally checking out at the end of the day. And so then they're not connecting. So how would somebody who's responding in either of those ways when they go home, how would they moderate their stress throughout the day so that's not the result? Mm -hmm. um, so one of the biggest things is becoming aware of the fact that you, okay, like I'm to the point where I'm about to scrape the bottom of the barrel right now um, and, and sort of mitigating those situations as they arise. But my uh, favorite, and I, I'm not giving anything away here because I post about it on my social media and everything, but my favorite strategy is to remember air and water. And so air is breath, connecting cognitively, to use your word, connecting your mind to your breath, to your heart rate, slowing down, close your eyes to where your breath is smooth, to where your heart rate starts to come down. Um, the other piece of air is go take a walk. If you live in the Midwest like I do and it's still trying to be winter outside, go for a walk outside. <laughs> Thing. Um, but if you can get outside and just take some nice deep breaths outside, that's the other piece of air. Um, water is to get some water. Oh, really hydrate. Some literal water. Yep. Um, I always say don't get some gross like river water from the sink. Go get you some nice sparkling water. Put some fruit in it. Do something that's like refreshing, restorative, a little bit pampering. It's also distracting. I'm going to go cut a lemon now. This is uh, like totally outside of everything else I'm doing. My brain is thinking about cutting a lemon. So it's, it gives you time to kind of cool your brain a little bit. Um, the other piece of, of water, which I've had more people tell me lately that this has been the strategy that has saved them is to go to the nearest bathroom and put some water on your face, on the back of your neck, the number one thing with this though, is to either, um, if you're like, I have a sleeveless dress on today, take off your whatever layer that you can or pull your sleeves up as far as you can and just wash your arms in some cool water in the sink. Just wash them for like a few minutes, clear again, cooling off your brain, mm. calming your mind. It's your brain is like, wait, we're doing what? I was sitting at my desk freaking out a minute ago. What are we doing? Where, where did my sleep, you know? So it's, it's that distraction, but it's also, there are so many like healing properties to water. It's very restorative sort of culturally, um, even religiously depending on, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, that, that's my number one tip, air and water. Wow. And even if you don't cognitively you're not aware of your stress level throughout the day. That's where I say build in this practice. So it's muscle memory, set your alarm. You're like, okay, at 10 and three, I'm going to go for a walk and wash my arms and just that's amazing. So really you're trying to calm down your neurology, right? It's exactly. like a neuro neurological 
shift. And if people do do that for like 10 minutes in the morning and the afternoon, you think they're going to go home and have like, like I would call that the second shift, right? You know, like you do the work shift and then you've got the kids and the dog and the house and like, and so you're like prepared for the second shift. Yeah. And do it at home too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes dog in the house and the dinner and the dishes and the laundry and all that that's all got its own level of stress right yeah for sure i'm gonna try a question here so um at so by the time so the therapy part of this right when people come to you it's oftentimes i'm guessing because they sense a problem um so when you're going through these different um uh, techniques and whatnot of making them better. Are you raising them to a level that is normal? And then my, the other part of my question is, is there not just look, can we also just not look for normal? Is there another way to look for high level emotional intelligence? So not just getting up to a baseline. Okay. But also people who don't even see themselves as having a problem, be able to apply some techniques and are they the same techniques, but to become a, what would be, I don't know, uh, a high A guru EQ, of emotional. A guru of emotional whatever. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys I'm sure so- there's a shorter way of asking that question, but I, I, I never had it the thought before. I'm, so Also, essentially what you're asking me is, are these skills developable? And yeah. 100% they are, um, which between the fact that it is science and that it is changeable, like that is what attracted me to this work. Um, if, if it was, this is just who you are and you're stuck, I, I'm sorry, but no, thank you. I'm not interested in that. So, um, it is a hundred percent developable. Uh, I coach my clients to, um, to bolster the skills that they use less by leveraging the skills that they use more. Like what, it, what is your go-to in this situation? Are, are, is your go-to problem solving or is your go-to interpersonal relationships? I need collaboration, I need validation, right? And so, okay, maybe your problem solving is low, but those interpersonal composites are really high. How can we increase the, the problem solving through the lens of your relationships? And so that's, that's kind of how that works. Does that answer your question? So you kind of use like a strength finders approach. So you leverage your strengths to shore up your weaknesses. Yeah. And then that's so amateur Gwen. So, and then through that approach, (laughs) through that approach, someone can truly see like true growth in their business. So Um, I do want to get to like, because people who listen to our show um, really just want to see the results. So like, okay, I have a problem. I could be better at emotional intelligence, but what real um, examples of their business improving have you seen by people shoring up some of these areas where maybe they're not as strong? Sure. Um, yeah. So in the in the time that I've been doing this work, I have seen a huge ROI for my clients, um, not only within the workplace, but within their personal lives. Um, I've seen clients be able to step away and take a two week vacation with their family for the first time. You know, I've seen um, clients who have been able to like almost 
palpably reduce the stress rate in the office because there were sort of all of these issues, all of these dynamics happening in the office and they didn't realize because it was manifesting in such different ways for everybody, they didn't realize it all came back to everybody's varying degree of dealing with stress. Um, so, you know, and, and all of that, all of that uh, equates to a better bottom line, really. Mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. feel better, they're going to do better. Stay longer. Lead better. So exactly. if you can learn how to be better with your own emotions, then you can coach your team on their emotions, which means that your clients are probably going to have better conflict resolution with your company, which means that they'll stay longer, which results in a better bottom line. Correct? Yes. It's kind of like a trip, trip, uh, trickle down effect. Okay. And so like if someone were to come see you, what's the program look like? Like that's always the fear. Like, oh, I'm going to see this person and then I've got to go to this appointment for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are you laughing because it's true? No, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, (laughs) kind (laughs) of. It is not true. Um, so my uh, my process is that the first thing we do is have a discovery session. Um, I'm a big believer that we're about to partner. We're about to embark on some change. And there should be some level of sort of chemistry between us before we start down this path. Like, I want to make sure that you trust me and that you believe in this work and, you know, all of that sort of thing, that this is, and that this is the right thing. Do you need me or do you need a therapist? Right. And so we'll have a discovery session and kind of talk about goals and all that sort of stuff. Um, Our first session together, we will take a look at your EQI assessment results. So between the discovery session and first session, you'll take the EQI. Um, we'll take a look at the results. What is it showing us? What does this mean? How might this shift your goals, which sometimes happens? We, we start taking a look at it and it's like, oh, I thought I was here for this, but turns out maybe it's actually that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, clients can sign up with me for three months or six months to start out with. And uh, what we do is meet once a week for an hour and talk through, okay, what what happened over the last week, what worked, what didn't, what feels good, what feels yuck. And then we start to develop some strategies around, okay, how can we start navigating these situations and these emotional responses um, in a better way and start bolstering these skills. Um, and it's all, again, as your practitioner, like through the lens of your your own emotional intelligence profile. Um, And then, uh, like I said, we meet every week. I give homework, uh, which is usually a little bit of journaling type stuff. Homework is for my clients, not for me. I don't ever even look at it unless they want to show it to me. Um, I do have sometimes clients, uh, I have one client, she's adorable, but she, it's like Lisa Frank lives in her brain and she sends me her journal, like uh, she texts me a picture of her journal and it's like all in different colors of pen and it's like like a friend like that (laughs) yeah weird it looks great it's beautiful isn't it i love it it's the way that she thinks it's the way she processes and it makes the work enjoyable for her which is also really important so wow so so you write in your journal you have projects i'm sure for people to test out with maybe their key relationships and then you can kind of identify the measurable results. If you have like a three to six month timeline, here's where yep. you're, you started at baseline, this is where you are now. 
Yeah. Great. Yep. And they can come right back to me and say, um, like our, like my client, your friend, uh, he comes back to me and he says, I feel better. I feel lighter. I can see this working not only in my business, but at home. Um, and so to, to that point, like I said, you can sign up for three, three months or six months, but I believe next month he and I will have been working together for a year. So wonderful well this has been super enlightening to me so where can people find you andy yep uh, my website is tidewatercoaching.com tidewater oh tidewater 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 okay tidewater yes tidewatercoaching.com and since you're a practitioner can you work in any state can you work with people from any state yes as a matter of fact so i'm located in fort wayne indiana and i only have one client here Wow. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah. Everybody else is all over the country. Oh, wow. That's cool. Fantastic. And I work with men or women and my clients, uh, my youngest client right now is 19 um, and, you know, on up. So love it. Love it. Well, thanks so much for being on the Bootstrapper show. This has been really interesting. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So Bootstrappers is powered by Anaquim. If you're looking for professionals who can help you grow your business, go to anaquim.net. You can get uh, 50% off your first placement fee by mentioning the Bootstrappers show. And that's a wrap. We'll see you on the next show. This is the Bootstrapper Show for Property Management, powered by Anaquim, a podcast where we have real conversations with industry experts that you can apply to your life and business.